Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. And it's been such a delight to celebrate together this morning the presentation in the temple. I hope that uh, in your homes scattered across our Zoom screens, your candles are still burning, and that that gospel reading from Josie has sparked some creative imagination, um, whether it's drawing or writing or Legoing, or maybe even making snow people of Simeon and Anna and the baby Jesus in the temple. Who knows? The possibilities are endless. But I'm actually not going to preach on that passage today. And um, we're going to continue our sermon series on 1 Corinthians. And so I'm going to preach today on the passage that Jeff read a few minutes ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I actually think it's really appropriate that we have this uh, reading of the gospel from our children's atrium as we enter into this passage. Because at the end of 1 Corinthians 4, Paul calls the people of Corinth his beloved children. And I think we do well to come to this letter today like children, in that mindset of children as ones who come humbly, ready to listen, ready to receive what God has for us, trusting in the words that he gives us. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm actually going to drop a link to the text in the chat box. It'll take me just a second to drop it there. But, you know, it's a long chapter and we only have so many minutes together. So uh, that way, if you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to. Um, but if not, and you'd like to just listen, that is wonderful too. But that way you have it there for you. Now, I love scripture. Hopefully that's like no big surprise. That's a good trait to have in this particular line of work, obviously. But I genuinely love it. I think scripture is beautiful. I think it's interesting. It's even kind of playful and sometimes a little bit weird. And I just... I love reading it. I love studying it. I love talking about it. I love it. And I love the words of Paul. I really do. Even where they get kind of confusing and difficult, I actually love those spaces where I have to wrestle with the words that are challenging. I feel like that's really where um, God has stretched and grown me. But at the same time, I am a woman who preaches and pastors and studies theology, so I've had some bad experiences with the words of Paul. I've had plenty of experiences where people have used those words against me, where they have used them to tell me, like, to cover my head and to stay silent and to get back in the kitchen where I belong. Sometimes not quite that blatant, but sometimes pretty much just that. And some of you might have grown up in homes or churches or just different environments where that's how Paul's words were used. Maybe on issues of gender roles, maybe on something else. There's a lot in Paul's words and there's a lot that can be made of them. And if you did, it can be hard to make our peace with Paul. When we come to a letter like 1 Corinthians, it can be hard to come with that attitude that I talked about a minute ago, with that attitude of childlike trust. 
it can be hard to come with humility. It can be hard to put ourselves into the scriptures to really see ourselves there. And it can actually feel a lot safer, even wiser or more mature or more sophisticated to hold Paul at a distance, to give ourselves a little bit of space there. And I think in 1 Corinthians, especially in the weeks that are coming up after this one, that is going to be the temptation that comes to us again and again and again, is to keep ourselves outside of the text, kind of over and above it, kind of having a a critical eye toward what Paul says, staying at a distance. It's really hard to come to a book like this with a posture of trust. It's really hard to believe we're going to find ourselves in these words, that even in these really old words from this distant time and place, and these words that kind of have a legacy of abuse and misuse, to come and see ourselves in them and believe that God has something to say to me here today, to say to all of us and to the church here in these words. Well, the interesting thing is that actually the people of Corinth were struggling with that too. And in 1 Corinthians chapter four, it's pretty clear they don't like Paul's words. They don't trust his authority. They don't like his leadership. They are challenging and judging and criticizing him and definitely keeping him at a distance at every turn. They've decided that instead of receiving what he has for them and kind of sitting under his words and learning, that they're actually going to filter anything he says through their own ideas about what is wise, what is spiritual, what is mature. And so in this chapter, Paul is trying to kind of reassert his authority to say, I have something to say to you. Please listen to me. But he doesn't do it in the way that we might expect him to do it, especially if we've kind of been trained to think about Paul as this like uber alpha male type of leader. He doesn't come to them that way at all. He's not domineering. He doesn't bring them some superior theology. Instead, what Paul brings them in chapter four is just himself. He brings his life to them. He holds himself out to them as this living, breathing, in the flesh, embodied example of what it looks like when someone's life has been completely transformed by the grace of God. And it might seem kind of arrogant to put himself in front of them as the example for them to follow, but it's actually exactly what they need. It's really helpful for Paul to do this. You might remember like three or four weeks ago, or maybe longer, um, on Epiphany, I kind of gave an introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. And when I did, I had said how the Corinthians don't have much of the gospel story. They have been Christians max, maybe three years total. They don't have the New Testament because it hasn't been written yet. And they don't have the Old Testament because they're not Jews. These are Gentile followers of Jesus. Jesus. 
And so they don't have much to go on. And what they actually are desperately needing and wanting is someone to live this out for them, someone to be a real human example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so Paul gives them that in himself, in this chapter and throughout the book and says, imitate me, imitate me. He's also going to send them Timothy, who has been walking with Paul for a long time, and it's going to tell them, imitate him. And he's also going to promise that he's going to come to see them. It won't be very long. And then they can be in the flesh together, learning how to walk all of this out. He's going to show them and model for them how all of this is done. So as we get into the text, we can see with them how it's done. And in chapter four, Paul gives us four images, or sorry, three images of what it looks like to be someone who is following Jesus in the flesh. The first image he gives us is a servant. The second one is a suffering apostle. And the third one is a father. So we're gonna just go through those three images quickly uh, together. So the first image comes to us in verses one through five, and it's this servant image. In verse one, Paul says, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Paul is saying that he and Apollos and Cephas, these leaders of the Corinthian church, that they are in this church as servants. They're not there as lords and masters. And the language here is that of a household and really the language of like a slave who's been entrusted with extra responsibility. Paul is there to serve the other members of this Corinthian house, the other people in the Corinthian church, but he's not actually accountable to them because Christ is his master. And Christ is the one who has delegated his authority to Paul. He's given them him responsibility as his servant. And so it's only Christ who can judge whether Paul is faithful. That's why Paul talks in this section about not really being concerned with the fact that the Corinthians are judging him and criticizing him. He's really not even concerned with how he judges himself. Because Paul is here as a servant to all, but he only answers to Jesus. He's not trying to win anybody over. He doesn't have any agenda to push. He has nobody to please and nobody to perform for. Nobody in Corinth is Paul's master. Jesus is. And even Paul's own inner critic the voice of judgment within him that is examining him, even that is not his master. Jesus is Paul's only master. So he comes to serve all, but he only answers to Jesus. So that's the first image. It's this servant image. And then the second image that Paul gives in this passage is of a suffering apostle. That comes in verses 6 through 13. 
And this is a natural outflow of Paul being a servant of Jesus because the servant follows in the way of the master and the way of Jesus is the way of suffering. Just like Weber read to us from that passage in Isaiah 53 a few minutes ago, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It's the way of humility. And you might remember if you've been listening along with us for a few weeks, that back in chapter one, Paul had said he wanted to know nothing among the Corinthians except Christ crucified. And we see that singular desire here. He just wants to be on the way of the cross of Jesus. But this way of the cross is in sharp contrast to the way of Corinth, to the way the Corinthian church is living. Paul says that the Corinthians are comfortable, they are rich and wise and strong, they're held in high regard, they already reign over others. And these ideas come straight from the pagan philosophies of the culture that the Corinthians have grown up in, have always been surrounded by. But they're also exactly the kind of worldly philosophy that Paul keeps warning them not to be taken hold by. Listen to these challenging words that start in verse 10. Paul says to them, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. So here we have our second image, that of the suffering apostle. So we have Paul the servant, and we have Paul as the one who suffers. And then there's one last image that he gives us in this chapter, and that's father. And not just any father, but a father whose children need some correction. Paul writes, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Paul is their spiritual father because the language here is of begetting. He has begotten this church. He has brought it into being through the Holy Spirit. And he's also their father in the way that I mentioned a little bit earlier, that he is an example to his children. He is someone that they can look to and imitate. Now, to modern ears, this idea of um, imitating their father sounds maybe a little bit like patriarchy or paternalism. And Paul is using that language here, the language of patriarchy, but he's flipping it on its head and kind of undercutting everything that it means in their culture. Because this whole chapter has been Paul showing how spiritual fatherhood is not about domineering over people. It's about renouncing power. 
It's about embracing weakness. So those are the three images that Paul gives us in this chapter. Paul is a servant. Paul is a suffering apostle. And Paul is a spiritual father to the people of Corinth. And in all three of these images, Paul is giving the people of Corinth a pattern for what the Christian life looks like. And they need this pattern. They are having a really hard time figuring it out on their own. They don't need theology. They don't need abstractions. And that's not what he gives them. He gives them concrete flesh and blood images and examples that they can follow. Well, at the start of the text, I talked about how we want to come to this scripture looking for ourselves in it, believing that God wants to speak to us through these words, coming with a posture of trust, of hearing what he has for us. And I think there are two places where we can look for and find ourselves in this text. The first one is playing the role of Paul. And the second one is playing the role of the Corinthians. Now, in the role of Paul, Paul is someone whose life has been completely changed, turned upside down by the crucified Jesus. And he just wants other people to experience what he has experienced, to taste and see this grace that has been poured out to him that has changed his life. And Paul loves these men and women in Corinth. He knows them. He has stayed in their homes. He loves them. And he wants so much more for them than the way they are living, than this empty, crossless way of life. But the people of Corinth just keep breaking his heart. And I wonder if the church has ever broken your heart. I don't necessarily mean our particular church, Incarnation Anglican, although we may have or we may in the future, but I mean more broadly the church, that collection of people who claim to trust and follow and love Jesus, the church in America, the church worldwide, the church throughout history. Has the church ever broken your heart? It certainly has broken mine. And I feel such a deep kinship with Paul as he longs for more for these people, for more for this church, for it to follow the way of the cross, to see and taste and touch and experience and show the true reality of who God is and what he can do. So how can we be like Paul? to a church that is so full of scandals and divisions and distortions, a church that does break our hearts. How can we be servants? How can we be suffering apostles? How can we be spiritual fathers and mothers in the church, gently wooing people back to the way of the cross, 
not doing so with theological abstractions, but with our own lives. So that's the first place we can find ourselves in the text. And honestly, that's the easier place to find ourselves in the text. And it's definitely the more flattering place to find ourselves in the text. The other option is to be the people of Corinth. We probably all wanna be spiritual fathers and mothers, and we probably don't want to be these wayward Corinthian children. And yet the description of the Corinthians as these people who are rich and filled, honored and comfortable, it sounds a lot like us. And we have to let the full force of Paul's critique touch our lives. We have to ask God the questions that our small groups ask each week of the text. God, according to this passage, what am I doing well? And what do I need to change? And then we have to be ready to listen. These aren't questions that I can answer for any one of you, but I think they are good questions to be talking about with one another, to be wrestling with not alone, but in community with other people. And they're questions that invite us to enter into this text with that childlike humility with the foolishness that Paul has talked about up until now in his letter. They're questions that invite us into a deeper listening for God's voice, a deeper trust that he wants to speak to us and to change our lives, and a deeper dependence on his grace and his power to do everything in us that we need. We're going to enter now into our time of silence. And as we do, I wanted to close with a prayer from the Catholic priest, Henry Nowen. Lord, I am so divided. I truly want to follow you, but I also want to follow my own desires and lend an ear to the voices that speak about prestige, success, human respect, pleasure, power, and influence. Help me to become deaf to those voices and more attentive to your voice, which calls me to choose the narrow road to life. The choice for your way has to be made every moment of my life. I have to choose thoughts that are your thoughts, words that are your words, actions that are your actions. There are no times or places without choices and I know how deeply I resist choosing you. Please, Lord, be with me at every moment and in every place. Give me the strength and courage to live faithfully so that I may taste with joy the life you have prepared for me. Amen. <laughs>